Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Today on The Charlie Kirk Show, I talk about America's war on men. It's one of the most important episodes I've ever done. So please listen carefully and act on the things I tell you about. Nothing could be more important than what we're discussing today on The Charlie Kirk Show. Check out our sister episode, our conversation with Larry Elder that we uploaded simultaneously. Email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com. Buckle up, everybody. You guys are going to love this episode. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. Make sure to go check out our sister episode today, one of the most amazing conversations I have had with somebody on the issues of race, black America, and the history of our country with Larry Elder. Please go listen to that episode alongside this one. I've been asked by a lot of people lately, and I've been getting thousands of emails from you. Thank you at freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Charlie, what is motivating these people to protest in the streets? Why do we have such unhappy people in America? Why are they burning American civilization to the ground, or at least attempting to? And I talked about in a previous episode that the lockdowns played a significant role in the civil unrest that we're seeing in America right now. And not just the burning and the looting, but just the pent-up energy. It's quite easy. You take people's sports away. You take away their gym memberships. You take away their social activities. You take away their jobs, literally 41 million people out of work. You take away their capacity to go for a walk outside without being followed by a drone or surveilled with cellular data. Young men in particular that will have a surplus of testosterone. What do you expect is going to happen? I mean, that is a recipe for disaster and the lockdowns contributed significantly to them. But even deeper than that, I think it's time that we take a step backwards And we talk about pre-existing trends in America and how those trends are only going to become more pronounced in a time of crisis. For example, this is the Matthew Principle, popularized by Jordan Peterson. Basically, this explains why the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. Those that have access to capital have gotten richer during the crisis because they doubled down their investments when the Dow went down to 18,000 points, and now it's up near 25,000. People had access to technology were able to be even more efficient. People that could buy at-risk businesses were able to do so and expand their portfolio rather generously. This is just one example of trends that will only become more pronounced. The same can be said for a declining culture. And we need to have a real conversation about this stuff that the media will not tell you about things that you know to be true, like the decline of masculinity in America, how we are raising our children. Men from a young age are basically told that they are awful. They are given no rite of passage whatsoever and no hero's journey. There's no earned success, especially for upper middle class suburban men. There's very little struggle and no conquest. And weak men create chaos. 
We over-pander to young men, especially, at young ages. And we do not teach them self-control, instead we flood them with self-esteem. It is much more important to teach a young person self-control than self-esteem. This was popularized by Dennis Prager, the terrific Dennis Prager. I encourage you to check him out. He's one of the smartest, wisest individuals in America. This all leads to the hyper-feminization of America. Basically, if I look at these protesters, especially the young men that are protesting, specifically the white suburban men, I'm not even talking about the urban black community that do feel as if they are being disadvantaged and do feel as if there are policies that are rigged against them. And there is some truth to that. Not that there's white privilege or necessarily it's because of racism, but because of Democrat teacher union cartel control, but because of poor welfare policies that have subsidized single motherhood and destroyed the black family and taken fathers out of the home. And I talked about in a previous episode, and you can listen to Larry Elder also reinforce this, but a black individual raised with a father and mother in the home versus a white individual raised with just a single mother, the black individual actually has a higher likelihood to succeed long-term. That pretty much dispels the idea of racism in America. It should go to show that it might not be racism that is keeping black people perpetually poor. Maybe it is some other structure that has been designed by Democrat politicians that have ruled the inner cities over the last couple decades, like fatherlessness, failing schools, and a war on police. But when I look at the upper-middle-class suburban individuals that are throwing Molotov cocktails, that are screaming at the top of their lungs about injustice, I thought to myself, boy, if your life story is about blaming other people and blaming the system, you will be miserable. If your reason, the story you tell yourself for not being where you want to be is somebody else's fault, then you'll absolutely be miserable because then it's out of your control. If everything wrong with where you are and the discontent that you have in your life is because of somebody else, it is therefore logically impossible to ever correct it unless you burn everything down around you, unless you decide that the system is worthy of destruction. Miserable people, which are the ones leading these riots and these massive protests in suburban communities, they destroy and attack. Grateful people flourish and they build. Grateful people that are thankful to be in America, that want to actually conserve what was sacrificed before them. PCmatic is a whitelist next generation antivirus software designed to stop modern threats like ransomware. Independent testing, AV test, just named PCmatic as a top performer in the cybersecurity industry, giving it the best performance award for 2019. Only PCmatic has American research development and support. PCmatic's competition is made in foreign countries where many of the viruses originate. You need to build the wall around your, your computer. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard and the Chinese Communist Party are coming for your computer right now. Do something about it and build the wall. It's PCmatic.com slash Charlie. PCmatic is just $50 for five devices for one year with a 30 day money back guarantee. And if you act now, PCmatic has officially offered my listeners a free month of security protection with the purchase of an annual license. To accept this offer, go to PCmatic.com slash Charlie. That's PCmatic.com slash Charlie. Build the wall. Keep people out of your computer. Protect yourself. 
PCmatic.com slash Charlie. And a lot of these individuals that are protesting, that are pushing the boundaries of civil disobedience, specifically from upper middle class backgrounds, and the phenomenon that is spreading virally through America is group humiliation. If you have not seen it yet, I encourage you to go look at these videos of Black Lives Matter groups stopping white people in the streets, making them kneel and apologize for their immutable characteristics, things they cannot change. So instead of having a real conversation and a focus in our country around you as the protester, what are you responsible for? And this all comes from college campuses. College campuses, and I could say this more so than any other individual in the entire country, I don't use arguments from authority often, but when I do, it's about something that I honestly have more experience with than almost any other person in the country. For example, I would trust Albert Pujols to tell me about major league baseball hitting techniques better than just some person on the side of the street. I will tell you about college campuses because I'm one of the leading voices on analyzing and speaking on college campuses, running Turning Point USA on 2,000 high school and college campuses across the country. I could tell you that colleges do not create mature, grateful, moral, or driven people. If you are told time and time again that the world is an awful, bigoted, backwards place that is in need of revolution— All of a sudden, when you start to act on it, you think you are doing the morally righteous thing. So we have to ask ourselves the question, are we actually communicating to young people what it means to have meaning? Meaning comes from responsibility. Jordan Peterson wrote an entire book on this, The 12 Rules for Life. Meaning does not come from raising your fist in the air against a specific injustice that has no data or statistics to back it. Now, I am not against protesting something righteous. I am not against using the means of protest to redress your government. That's why I was a huge supporter of the lockdowns because I saw that the lockdowns actually negatively contributed to the American experience. We saw suicides. We saw anxiety. We saw alcoholism, drug usage on the way up, domestic abuse, spousal abuse, self-inflicted wounds were at record rates. That's why I love the peaceful protests. Peaceful protests, by the way. Not one of those protests got violent when we were petitioning our government to reopen against the draconian backwards lockdowns. But as soon as something that happens that fits the media narrative, we were all of a sudden told that you could leave your house and the virus won't affect you no matter how righteous the cause is, which anyone with a functioning brain knows that the double standard there is so blatant, so ridiculous, and so insane. And so this has created what I call protest culture. Protest culture is the belief that if you go out in the streets, instead of improving your own life, making your bed, shaving your face, and treating yourself the way others want to be treated, instead of improving your life, getting a job, and acting as ethically and morally as you can, you go tell the rest of the world that they're the ones that are screwed up that you need to burn the system down. So here's the test of how whether you know you're in protest culture or whether you're actually protesting something righteous. If you couldn't post about it on Instagram or Facebook, would you still do it? If you couldn't tell the entire world how good of a person you were, would you still do that protest? 
And the answer for so many of these young upper middle class students, college graduates, and activists is absolutely not. They're doing it for the Instagram likes. They're doing it to virtue signal to a broken world. So instead of actually doing good, instead of actually serving in a local homeless shelter, instead of actually giving sacrificially to a person in need, instead of improving their own life, which is the most moral thing a human being can do, to improve the world, improve yourself. To change the world around you, change yourself into the best possible human being that you can be. This starts in grade school with elementary school teachers that are encouraging students to go strike for the climate. That protest can give you meaning. It's as if we've learned nothing from the 1789 French Revolution. It's as if we learned nothing from the entire 20th century. Protesting will not give you a sense of purpose. It might give you a power trip when those Instagram likes start to flow in. It might make you feel like the best person in the world because, yeah, you're fighting like Martin Luther King did. But guess what? The protesting is just a small part of what Martin Luther King did. He had to convince and persuade people. He had to demonstrate to other people that civil disobedience was the correct way of going about protest. It wasn't the only thing that gave the civil rights era meaning. And I, for one, will reject categorically and completely any sort of moral equivalency of the injustice of the antebellum South and the Jim Crow South and the opportunities that are afforded to black people today. It is not even close. Here's a good question. How often do you think the rioters and the social media sanctimonious protesters say, I take responsibility for my actions and I need to improve my life? How often do you think the protesters, if confronted by someone in a very private manner, would admit that they are the ones that can actually dictate human behavior and lead to a better, more fulfilling life? I would venture a guess based on my own experience and based on my communication with these individuals. They would never say anything close to that. See, this is rooted in a Rousseauian, Hegelian view of the world. That the external, the superstructure of society is to blame, not you. Any suffering that you are feeling is because the system around you was not built correctly. And it was specifically not built correctly for people of color. And if you dare not be a person of color, you must atone for something that you did not do because you are the beneficiary of a system that was rigged just for you, which is nonsense. And it is racist. Go back in the Charlie Kirk Show archives and check out the episode on white privilege. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be terribly wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, and guess what? NBA is coming back. It's coming back, so you guys have got to get involved with BetOnline.ag. If you miss the NFL, no problem. BetOnline still has daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on, and NASCAR is officially back. If you're into entertainment betting, that's okay. You can still bet on stock prices, the weather, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. 
If you are an MMA fan, UFC 250 is coming up on June 7th. Make sure to stay tuned to this podcast to hear former MMA star Shiel Sonnen and Bet Online's Dave Mason to talk all things UFC's 250, including all the latest betting lines. They're all open 24 hours a day and all online. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Visit betonline.ag. Don't forget that promo code podcast1 for your sign up bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And one of the reasons this is all happening is the hyper-feminization of America. The feminization of culture is something that has been considered the third rail of American cultural discussion. It's time that we tackle this head-on, and that's why we're here at the Charlie Kirk Show, to have the conversations that the activist media will not have. Now, some of you might deem some of this wrongly offensive, Everything I'm about to go through here talking about the hyper-feminization in America is not a slight towards women. It's not even a slight towards femininity. Instead, I'm talking about how the balance between the merits of the masculine and the feminine are able to balance each other. It's properly valuing the traits in the relationship to one to the other. So when I talk about the hyper-feminization of America... I'm talking about the archetypes that have been commonly used in literature, philosophy, psychology, and sociology, also in the great religions of the world. So here's some examples. Masculine traits, or men, tend to be more goal-directed. They tend to be more assertive. They have a bias for action. Whereas feminine traits tend to be more relationship-directed. They tend to be more receptive and grateful, and they tend to be more prone to patience and forgiveness. Now, both of those are necessary for a complete human being, which is why I'm such a huge supporter of biblical marriage, because the man and the woman become one in flesh, whereas the masculine would be more competitive, the feminine would be more collaborative, whereas the masculine would be more about protecting, the feminine would be more about nurturing. Whereas the masculine would be more about independence, the feminine would be more about interdependence. Now, men can't completely ignore the feminine traits, or else you become so headstrong, and you have no patience, no forgiveness, no temperament, and you have no capacity to maybe multitask. Men are very good at singular tasks, monotasking, whereas women or the femininity traits would be better at multitasking. These are beautiful, timeless forms. Now, before I go any further, the left does not even believe in the distinction between men and women. They think that gender is a social construct, that these are just blurred lines, and that men can instantaneously, if they wish, become a woman, and a woman can become a man. That kind of defeats the entire idea of feminism. And this is one of the biggest lessons about the left. Since the left does not have governing documents that they can agree on, like the Bible like the idea of natural rights, they will continually try to outdo themselves. We call this wokeness culture, that one person is just going to be try to become more woke than the other individual. Now, those traits that I mentioned, they are timeless forms. I want to make myself perfectly clear. We are not talking about value. Male or masculine does not mean more valuable than female or feminine, but I do mean that it has equal value. And right now, the masculine traits and the death of masculinity 
individuals that want to be protected, that want to have bias towards action, independence, rational and linear and logical thinking, whereas women would be more intuitive. And you know a woman's intuition, a mother or a girlfriend or a wife's intuition is so timeless and I believe is a gift of the Holy Spirit and it makes men whole. What happens when this gets out of whack and this balance loses its equilibrium, the country can go into chaos. And that's what's happening right now. So here's just one example of what I mean. If the feminine nurtures, the masculine protects. So when I say we're living through the hyper-feminization of American culture, you can draw a direct line to the calls to defund the American police, just like the Los Angeles mayor announced it would do. Police mean protection. Now, we don't value the masculine trait of protection at all anymore. Therefore, we don't value the police. But some of you might say, oh, Charlie, come on. We want to defund the police, not because they embody the masculine, but because they are brutalizing people of color. They have betrayed their community, and they are part of systemic racism in the country. Now, not so fast, my friends. I have heard for years on college campuses from the hyper-feminist left that we live in a tyrannical patriarchy, that the police are part of this patriarchy, the violence and young men picking up weapons. This all must be demilitarized and deconstructed from within. But even to debunk that talking point that I mentioned is no, they have not and they are not. And this argument that I'm about to do proves my point. I encourage you to listen to my recent episode with Heather McDonald. Just get the facts on this. Our police are heroes who actually save countless black lives. Countless, countless innocent black lives are saved by police officers, and they exhibit unbelievable restraint. Now, look, the only reason you could possibly make this argument is because you don't value the protection that they give nearly as much as you value the emotion or the pathological side of virtue signaling. Now, if you look back to the old Greek triangle that many of you grew up learning, and if you didn't learn this, then your education was incomplete. You have the pathos, the logos, and the ethos. Our society is heavily weighted to the pathos right now, emotive style arguments. Whereas in correct context, a house that is soundly built The logos should be equally balanced with the ethos, which means the theme and the character. And we've lost our character as a country. And in some ways, the ethos balances out the the logos and the pathos. Now, look, again, the pathos or empathy and emotion, these are beautiful and good things. Music and art, reflection, psychology, the humanities are so important to civil society. These are classically more feminine. But again, this doesn't mean that men cannot or should not or aren't emotional. They are. But as culture becomes so hyper-feminine, it is the left that becomes so unchecked because they play into people's emotions, not into logical thinking. It becomes out of balance, and society delves into chaos. Now, mind you, a society could become too hyper-masculine, too. I want to just say that the hyperfeminization is not the only extreme a society can go towards. A society can overcompensate into the hypermasculine, and that would not be good either. You look at Stalin, you look at Mao, you look at Mussolini, you look at these authoritarian strongmen like Erdogan or in Saudi Arabia or North Korea, 
And many of the individuals in the humanities uh, of the colleges point these out as incorrect social experiments. And they're not totally wrong, but they overcompensate with the authoritarian, overcompensating masculine strongmen as saying we must compensate by making America so hyper-feminine. Whereas I'd make the argument that we actually had the balance pretty good over the last couple decades. And you better be awfully careful. In fact, you must be brutally careful if you think you know where the equilibrium actually is. So one way or the other can cause absolute and total despair. If you become too hyper-feminine, all of a sudden you have men that have no meaning. You have men that are told they are nothing but guilty upon their birth. Our entire school system is built around this, and we get to that a little bit later. But I want to use an example that has happened in just the last 24 hours. So here's an example of how wokeness or the overcompensation to the hyper-feminization of America comes right in the news cycle. New York Times columnist Barry Weiss, she's really smart, by the way. I, I consider her to be a very thoughtful individual, don't always agree with her. She commented on the, quote, civil war that is raging at the New York Times. Senator Tom Cotton, who's terrific, by the way, he's going to be coming up on the Charlie Kirk Show. So type into your podcast provider, Charlie Kirk Show, hit subscribe, leave us those five-star reviews. Tom Cotton wrote an article saying it's time to bring in the troops, basically talking about how it's time to use military force to quell the riots. And I also called for the president signing the 1807 Insurrection Act. So Senator Tom Cotton and I agree on this. Now, this triggered an entire legion of woke reporters or hyper leftist feminist style reporters. Barry Weiss said this It's very insightful and very helpful. The old guard lives by a set of principles we can broadly call civil libertarianism. They assumed they shared that worldview with the young people they hired who called themselves liberals and progressives, but it was an incorrect assumption. The new guard has a different worldview one articulated best by Jonathan Haidt or Greg Lukianoff. They call it, quote, safetyism, in which the right of people to feel emotionally and psychologically safe somehow trumps, no pun intended, what were previously considered core neoliberal values, like free speech. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So this kind of conflict now, which originates from our universities, has young activists, the ones you're seeing march in the streets, not necessarily care about being magnanimous of other ideas or tolerant of dissent. Instead, they believe if you feel offended by something, you must have the right to stamp out that opinion. This is in direct contradiction with the old quote from Voltaire who said, I may not agree with what you have to say, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and more. And HR manager salaries are not cheap. They're an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. 
from onboarding the terminations. They customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day to day. All for just $99 a month. Month to month, no hidden fees. Cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash Kirk right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Kirk. Spell BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash Kirk. Now, mind you, the feminization of our culture started really with the second feminist wave of the 60s and 70s, and it led to the war on men. Now, before I go further, it's important to note, I do not support any form of men using power systems or power that they might have to exploit women. I get accused of that belief just because I talk and I advocate for strong men in a society. Really strong men, true strength for a man is not to exploit women. It's not to take advantage of women. It's not to lie to women. Strong men tell the truth. Strong men treat women as something that deserves to be protected. And the casualties of the war on men are real. Did you know that men account for about 77% of the nation's suicides? Do you know men are more than twice as likely to become alcoholics? They're much more likely to die of an overdose than women are. And 90%, that's right, 90% of inmates are men. 18 years ago or so, the terrific Christina Hoff Summers published The War on Boys, How Misguided Feminism is Harming Our Young Men. Summers concluded this, quote, It's a bad time to be a boy in America. Boys are less likely than girls to go to college and to do their homework. They're more likely to cheat on tests and wind up in detention or dropout, end quote. She documents how boys' natural rambunctiousness was beginning to be diagnosed as a disorder and treated with drugs like Ritalin. I could tell you this from personal experience. I'm so glad that my parents fought off many people that tried to drug me from an early age because I was always so restless. I couldn't sit still. I had ideas. I wanted to work harder. And the hyper-feminization of our school system played a very negative role in this. So here's some examples of this. Girl-type behavior or feminine behavior is considered the gold standard in school. Boys are basically treated like defective girls. The ideal in literature, by the way, there's a good example in third or fourth grade, the thing that you can get the highest grades for is the confessional poet. It's highly emotive stories, like Little House on the Prairie, whereas stories around action or adventure are actually banned from most schools, and they're not graded as well. We've also seen the death of recess. We've seen the death of physical activity for young boys. Boys have a higher likelihood to have a predisposition to enjoy really high levels of competition. Boys need to work off their energy. Schools have been very sedentary, and they've almost felt centered around the emotive and not the logical, and especially not around physical involvement of learning, which is how boys best learn, involving themselves in the process. So if sports and competition and physical activity was just completely gone, well, then where does this energy go? Well, into unhealthy outlets eventually, crime, fighting, and angst. Rolling Stone smeared an entire fraternity, you might remember this, Rolling Stone magazine, charging its members with gang rape. The article was exposed as a total, complete, fallacious fabrication. But the damage was already done. Men are assumed to be part of rape culture simply for being men. If you look at college graduates, 62% of associate degrees 
are held by women. This is according to the Department of Education. 60% of master's degrees, 52% of doctorates. Congress even passed a bill back in 2014 saying that girls are an underserved community. A lot of this is from Christina Hoff Summers. She's terrific, by the way. So when you have weak men, all of a sudden you have single mothers. Because men don't feel as if they have to take responsibility. They never stop being infants. They never mature. They never go on the hero's journey. They never slay the dragon. They never have to shave. They never have to cut their hair. They never have to dress properly or make their bed. They're allowed to be perpetual infants. So over a couple generations, while this is subsidized through heavy government programs, specifically in the black community, this has also impacted Appalachia and many white American communities as well. You have single mothers. How does this impact young women? Well, young women without fathers are much more likely to actually hit puberty quicker than young women that have fathers. Well, what's the significance of this? Well, the significance is that young women are actually more likely to sexually experiment at ages young as young as 11 or 12 years old. Why? Well, social psychologists agree because they're looking for attention and male companionship. Now, you might have different moral compasses, but I think it's pretty agreeable that if a young woman is 12 years old, she should be sheltered and protected from all sorts of, any sort of sexual relationship. That does not help anyone. In fact, that starts a cycle of potential brutality, of potential teen pregnancy, and a lack of self-worth. So as men go to college campuses, a man is accused inherently of sexual wrongdoing. When that happens, they're robbed of all due process. I've seen this happen to so many men. And these are our sons we're talking about. If you have a husband, you should be worried about him possibly getting accused of something unfavorably. Believe all women, they used to say. Believe all women no matter what. Well, they don't believe Tara Reid because for Democrats, they have a second level of rules. But that's, that's a different conversation for a different time. But young men have had their lives ruined. This goes back to the thesis I've talked about in a previous episode. I encourage you to listen to it. This is called anarcho-tyranny which is the unequal application of laws and standards for the favored and unfavored groups. Men are in unfavored groups. Therefore, especially Republican or conservative or white men that are not left-wing activists, if you get an accusation against you, you are guilty until you're proven innocent. And for men, listen to this right now, that are conservative, and if you are a vocal Trump supporter, be very careful with the decisions that you make in your life. Be careful what you text, be careful what you say, be careful who you associate with, because they can come after you, they can get you fired, and they will treat you unjustly. And then, of course, comes workplace and sexual harassment litigation and the recent flood of hashtag MeToo cases. All this gets put together. What ends up happening? The worst possible byproduct of the hyper-feminization of America. Men are now opting out of fatherhood and marriage. Men basically wave their hands up in the air and they say, enough. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to take responsibility. I'm going to stay an infant perpetually. Or even worse, they will marry a masculine woman who never demands that he is the man mature. And it becomes some sort of very bizarre relationship where the man allows the woman to take full leadership in the relationship. These, these, this is a very unhappy relationship that ends up happening because it puts an unhealthy amount of stress and pressure on the woman because she has to be the provider. She has to be the leader. She has, and I'm not saying women can't be leaders in a relationship, but when it, the woman is the only leader in a relationship, 
It puts an unhealthy amount of pressure and it creates more divorce. Dr. Helen Smith wrote in 2013, quote, men on strike that increasing numbers of men are boycotting marriage and fatherhood and even engaging with women at all, except via commitment-free hookup culture, which is what cowards do. Cowards who don't want any responsibility use that sort of engagement of hookup culture as a way that they can pleasure themselves. This is purely hedonistic. And if you engage in it with no form of responsibility and you think you can just do that and walk away, you'll soon realize that that's just not, it's not like playing basketball at the park. It's not harmless. So this is where it all comes full circle. This is where our current events of rioting, racial tensions, all connect with the war on men. As we discussed with our incredible episode with Ben Carson, I also talked with Larry Elder on today's sister episode. Please check it out. One of the biggest problems in the black community, but also the white community as well, and all communities across the country, is the lack of fathers. In the mid-1960s, Lyndon Baines Johnson sent social workers to go knock on doors of blacks to tell them the government assistance was available. So as long as there wasn't a father in the home, this is part of the Great Society Act signed into law by Lyndon Baines Johnson. In other words, get married to the government, not a husband. We incentivized and subsidized fatherlessness. This all but destroyed the black family. Let's look at the facts. In 1965, 25% of black kids were born outside of wedlock. In 2020, 70% of black babies are now born out of wedlock. That means 70% of black babies will not grow up with a stable father in the home. That has nothing to do with racism. That has nothing to do with blaming white privilege or Jim Crow or slavery. That has to do with a lack of fathers in the home. Now, there are root causes why there are not fathers in the home, which is bad policies. But the driving force by why there are not black fathers in the home is not because of racist people. Now, were there historical roots of the 25% fatherlessness in 1965? No doubt. 70%? Not even close. In fact, black women were more likely to stay married than white women in the 1950s and 60s. Go look at images. Go read books about black America before the Great Society program despite it being horrendously racist in certain communities, despite there being segregation, the black community was incredibly resilient and defied redlining and defied some of the racist practices. The church was vibrant. The communities were strong. And black America's income gains between the 1940s and 1960s was one of the greatest wealth prosperity jumps in American history. You cannot blame the move from 25% fatherlessness to 70% fatherlessness on slavery or systemic racism. So now 25% of white kids are born outside of wedlock, 50% of Hispanic kids. And by the way, this all happened while culture got significantly less racist. We are not systemically racist in America. We're in, actually, we're actually systemically decent. We are a systemically decent country. We're actually so decent that when we see something racist like we did in Minnesota, we are so vocally and unequivocally and agreeably outraged to that. If we were a racist country, if we were systemically racist, why can't you find me one human being that supported what happened in Minneapolis? Can you find me one person? That person does not exist. 
All of this creates generational dependency for all groups, not just blacks. So you couple all of this with the empty promises of the left, of the social engineers, and the central planners. It results in broken homes and absolute dependency. In the mid-1980s, the Los Angeles Times asked poor people if welfare was more of a stepping stone to financial freedom or a crutch. A majority said it was a crutch. It's fatherlessness that determines in large part the success or failure of a home and of a child's future. Fatherlessness homes directly correlate to poverty rates. Fatherlessness also impacts the way young people interact with authority. So if you do not have a father figure at home, you then look at individuals like Jay-Z or Kanye West to fill that void of a strong man. And then more materially, you look at people that act out the lyrics of Jay-Z or Lil Wayne, like the gangbanger around the street, as a father patriarchal figure. Then you as a black male very well might be asked to appease that father figure, the gang leader, and he might ask you, go kill somebody, go break, a, go break into a store, which by the way is what was happening in New York City. In New York City, most of the looting was at the direction of gang leaders. It was young black males that were trying to win the respect and the father figure approval of gang hierarchy leadership. So here are just some numbers. For individuals that are in single mother households, so raised by a single mother, which by the way, single mothers are American heroes. I can't imagine how hard it is to keep it all together. But 47.6% of children in poverty are being raised by single mothers. 10.9% of children in poverty are being raised by married couples. I mean, that is a massive delta. And again, single mothers are heroes. And men who abandon women are cowards. They need to be called out more and more vocally. And you can see, according to the data since 1960, which is Census Bureau data since 1960, in 1960, 19.9% of black children were just living with their mother, like Ben Carson. In 2010, 48% of black children are just living with their mother. And the fatherlessness rate is even higher than that because in order for it to be considered a two-parent home, the father has to be there frequently. This would be as if the father has totally abandoned them. This leads to a cycle of poverty, a cycle of violence, and a cycle of hopelessness, which leads me to speak to men out there. There is a war on men. The society is hyper-feminized. But none of that is an excuse for you to blame other people for being a loser. None of that is an excuse for you to go pillage and protest and take a sign. Real men don't do that. Real men admit that there's adversity and then you get your tail into gear and do something about it. Real men go get jobs or at least fight like heck to get one. Any job, any place. Real men protect women, and they protect the vulnerable. If you're cheering on the destruction of our communities, you are not a man, you are a coward. Real men protect those that can't protect themselves. 
Real men do not abandon women or their wives. Real men take care of their children. Real men raise their children to be respectful, responsible, and reliable. Real men work hard. Real men show up. And real men tell the truth. And we need strong women too. It's not just a war on men because this puts a unequal burden on women. Real women encourage masculinity out of men. Real women do not expect men to act like women. Real women understand men are different. Real women celebrate healthy competition and masculine strength. And real women are not threatened by the success of men. Men can complete women and women can complete men. We need both for a healthy, functioning, civil society. And we are way out of whack right now. And yes, there are only two genders. I've done an entire podcast on this. I encourage you to go back in the archives and download it. But if we allow this cycle of hyperfeminization to continue, the overly emotive, pathological descent of America, we will not have happier, fulfilled women, and we'll have weak and hopeless men. Suicide will continue to increase, hopelessness will increase, and chaos will ensue. To restore order in America, we must be serious about solutions. How do we make good people? We make good people by respecting the two types of people that God made, male and female, man and women. We encourage marriage. We encourage fidelity, not infidelity. We denounce hookup culture. We say that you are not any more admirable because you got very drunk and bragged about it. There's nothing funny or cool with gaining 30 pounds during quarantine. That's called being lazy. Watching Netflix all day does not mean a fulfilling day. Do something responsible. Do something hard. Do something that challenges you. Do something that makes you be more creative. And for women out there, I get messages all the time. They say, I just can't find a good man. I actually agree with you on that. I see far too often men that act like grown-up boys that have gone through puberty physically but still act like eight-year-olds. And so for men out there that are addicted to substances that might be addicted to online sources of pleasure, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you're like, well, I can't get a woman to be interested in me. Well, maybe it's because you're not acting like a man. Stop blaming other people. All, everything I've talked about in this podcast is true, and I will fight back tooth and nail against it. But men are not the problem. If you act like a man and apply yourself, and when I say act like a man, I say all the things above. Responsibility, courage, respect, truth, the commitment to honesty, protecting the vulnerable, protecting women. Men can be the solution to America. And a restoration of the balance between masculinity and femininity is the only hope for the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. 
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Please email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, check out Turning Point USA. It's tpusa.com, tpusa.com. Chip in some money, donate if you can, get engaged, get involved. And I'm giving away 10 random copies right here, right now, just for this episode. The first 10 people, I should say, not random, the first 10 people that email me at freedom at charliekirk.com. Your thoughts on this episode. You get a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine. Type in Charlie Kirk Show, hit subscribe, give us those five-star ratings. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. God bless.